We live in a fast-paced and hectic world where it's easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Recovery Road, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories from many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day on your road to recovery. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Greg Bird. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Master Your Life. I'm Leah Mattinson. Master Your Life is the show of insight, intelligence, and inspiration, where I ask you each episode to consider who is it you are right now and what is it you're trying to create in your life. Are you happy with the results that you have got so far, or are there some things that you would love to tweak? And for most of us, we have got our hands up saying, yeah, there's some things I'd like to improve. Uh, And especially as we roll into this year end, because 2020, wow, it has been a doozy. (laughs) So many people experiencing incredible problems that they've never faced before. Problems in their finances, problems in their relationships, marriages blowing up, kids at home schooling for the full year, Um, you know, questions about health and safety that people have never, never, ever considered before or have been concerned with and financial devastation throughout the entire globe. So as we wheel into 2021, how do we reset ourselves? How do we take back control of our life? How do we master the main areas on our life, which are financial health, financial wellness, and physical health and physical wellness? And I'm an expert, but I'm not an expert in all things. So that's why I bring on wonderful guests like my guest today, Greg Bird. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Leah. Um, again, thank you for having me, and I'm honored to be here. <laughs> you speak about uh, the the fitness or the getting out there and uh, being healthy. Well, we just got in from sledding. That's what we were chuckling about as we hit the record button. So um, there's two special guests and coworkers I have today that are at home until January 11th before they go to school. They want to come say hi, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're my little bookends up here. Uh, uh, Tanner. So guys, if you want to come say hello, let's see. They wanted to come uh, say hi for a couple of reasons. We just literally got back in from sledding. So Hey this guys, my son, uh, son Gavin, and this is my little uh, Tanner, my little redhead. How are you guys doing? Amazing, actually. Amazing, actually. That's so good to hear. Hey, can I ask you a question? Yes. Who is your favorite superhero? My favorite superhero is Iron Man. Why? Because he's, yes. first of all, he's smart. He has a really good personality, caring, kind. And he gave up his life in Endgame. Oh, Oh, yes, he did. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Now I'm going to have to rewatch that show. Thanks. Thank you. And how about you? The Hulk. The Hulk. (laughs) I think it has something to do with his red hair. Don't make him angry. (laughs) You and me. You and me, my little friend. (laughs) Don't make you angry. Okay, why do you really like the Hulk? He has lots and lots of conscience. Strong. He's strong. Yes. He is strong. Nothing gets him down. Yeah. So should be my coworkers today. So I wanted to share because yes. what we're talking about today is a little bit of generations, the seven generations planning, and this being my forward generation. So uh, these guys mean a lot to me, my little bird, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, they said, can we be a part of Leah's show? So there you guys are. Honestly, maybe you guys need a permanent gig on this thing. You're probably way more entertaining than your dad or I, right? Uh, <laughs> that pretty much is very entertaining. <laughs> oh, wow. Checks in the mail. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Awesome. Well, it was a delight to meet you. Thanks so much for sharing. Have a great day. Oh, my God. Go. So great. <laughs> I'll have to go play. <laughs> that's awesome that's hard to what are we going to follow up with now oh man that's so wonderful i and i do i mean it's so wonderful it makes me cry um because i love my kids so much and i love my grandchildren it's just uh i'm so delighted that you shared them with everybody today 
awesome, good sports that they are playing along to. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Perfect age, right? For not being too camera shy or ducking from all oh. things. No, well, we're all a little sore, a few bumps and bruises from sledding, but uh, it's all good. We got the fresh air and exercise I think we needed today. So I'm focused. I'm ready. That's perfect. What do you got for me? Oh, man, we've got some stuff to talk about. So we're going to talk about seven generations um, financial planning. And in particular, because uh, there's just been a real upset, I think, in how people plan or there has been a real lack of planning. In our last episode, we were talking about that. what we saw maybe was this one little snippet of time right after World War II, where people maybe were doing some financial planning, but because of the decimation of the family, et cetera, et cetera, that really we've lost sight of um, the conscience that it takes to build legacy. And then how could we help people to contextualize that? And so both you and I are familiar with this seven generations planning model, but I don't know that most people are. So do you want to just dive into it, Greg, your understanding of it, where it came from? Sure. Yeah. The research I've done on it and uh, was first introduced to me and person can Google it and it comes up. The first thing that pops up is uh, some of the indigenous tribes. And over the years, the Iroquois, most specifically, they speak about Lakota. They all had this one thing about tradition and we are related and how they describe seven generations planning. They describe it in a picture and they're good about telling stories and drawing pictures. So if you think of a pictograph, of seven generations and why seven? There's a specific reason for that. And you got to imagine if you were the middle of that pictograph, here we are today. Here we are talking today. We're at this moment in time. So the first part of it is think about the generations outwards. So we've been blessed to have parents. That's one to the left, right? And some of us have had grandparents. And I got one, my grandma Helen on my mom's side is the last remaining grandparent alive. also best friends with your auntie Joyce, so to That's speak. Right. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Well, I actually <laughs> heard auntie Joyce growing up because I thought she was actually part of our family, but uh, right. that's how things were. Small mm-hmm. town. We all were so close in our community. And the, that's the next one. And then the, the farthest out generation that I can actually remember and being born very young um, into my family, I was able to remember my great grandparents. So mm-hmm. great grandpa Frank and great grandma Victoria Um, And all that lives on in me now is that memory and the memory is sparked and fueled by that love that they had for me. And that's what I feel that was passed on in the generations. And the other thing that's passed on is the stories and a lot of stories of survival through some pretty crazy times right from 1895, you know, through World War One, through World War Two and some the Great Depression in between there. So some really interesting stories that I've been um, told over time by my grandma and uh, from both sides of the family. So that's what we mean about the, the three generations to our left of this continuum. But then some of us are blessed with children, okay, mm-hmm. which you are too, and you're blessed with now great our grandchildren. Right. I'm not there yet, but it's coming. <laughs> I know this next decade, there could very right. well be grandchildren in my generation, my seven generations. And then think of the future generations of the children unborn, who are now, now my great-grandchildren. And with technology and science, my life could be extended to the point where we could have great, great grandchildren that we do know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd mentioned that in our last broadcast that my right. grandfather's funeral, there actually was, while well, he was still alive, two great, great grandchildren. So that was actually eight generations. Right. But why the seven is because we actually have a point in time where we've been influenced and taught through the generations, this common thread through all of us that passes from one generation to the next and how we can take what we've learned in our experiences and the Iroquois, they talk about, you know, some of the, those stories, those choices, those behaviors, the mistakes and what we've learned from them. And how can we take all that? And how do we reverberate that now into the future and pass that on to the next generation? So that at the core of that teaching, that principle, uh, Leah, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, too, is that in that in the seven generations, what I picked up from it is that there was also some expectations in those uh, tribes, in those nations, in the clans, and that those expectations on the people who lived within those uh, clans was that you treated each other with 
a certain amount of positive regard and that, you know, generations took care of one another. And they got rid of, from a psychological perspective, they got rid of a lot of the psychopathy and the criminal behavior out of their um, communities really early on because they just didn't allow it. And so we've created a lot of, um, you know, psychological harm in our families. And this is rippled out uh, because of our culture that we currently live in. And not to get down into the weeds too far, uh, but it, it bears in mind that we think about these things because, again, the cancel culture is, well, I just won't think about it. I'll just carry on and go forward. Um, but the only way that you can actually course correct is to acknowledge some of the things that we've all done um, that maybe haven't been our most bright, shiny moments <laughs> or the hottest, you know, or, um, for, for whatever the reasons are. And then to, you know, this course correction is really about um, putting new stakes in the ground. So you were mentioning um, what you thought would be a good stake in the ground for people to consider. And what was that? It's the golden rule. So it's something yeah. I was taught at a very young age and Leah and growing up as well. And, you know, I can think back to being four or five years old and it's that whole golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it mm -hmm. starts from there. And it that's common thread is in all cultures. It's in all countries for whatever is good and where it comes from. It comes from that golden rule. So I just wanted to share that with you. And, you know, I felt uh, maybe I needed to share to everyone listening that it starts there. Right. Yeah. And, and then thinking about where's your mind in that process. So somebody who wants to master their life, somebody who's watching this show, uh, you usually have a paper and pen out already and are making notes going, okay, well, what are the things that I need to be thinking about here? Okay, seven generations, who would that be? You know, how would that, uh, how would I lay that out in my family? Okay, if I was to think about things differently, as opposed to I'm going to kick everyone in the butt that, you know, gets me slightly riled or, you know, upsets me. Uh, and 2020, again, has been an incredibly difficult year. And it, and it has been planetarily a very, very difficult year. So most people have felt under pressure. Um, and there's been a lot more heightened emotion. And even during this time, you know, there's been a little bit of relief up to about the 24th. A lot of people were feeling this really energy of um, constriction, uh, quicker to anger, quicker to hostility, quicker to irritability. And that has lifted a little bit, but it's about to compress itself again. So uh, people just need to be aware that, oh, why am I going through all this kind of crazy energy? It's because it's a real thing. And to not deny that it's happening, but to recognize that not only are you feeling that way, but all of the people in your environment may also be feeling that same way. And much to your, you know, going out for a play in the snow, Greg, that's probably one of the best things that a person can do, you know, is get out and do some physical activity and shake off anything that might be kind of stagnant energy so that you can think about financial planning for the seven generations and not be thinking about how am I going to get out of this house? <laughs> These people are driving me nuts. <laughs> so that's a good, it's a good idea, right? Don't you think? Good idea. So in this age of raising consciousness, you know, what are kind of the things that, um, that are important for people to, uh, from this raised consciousness, be uh, looking at in terms of this planning, because again, it's like having this eyesight or line of sight to, well, how do I manage if I have money and how do I manage if I don't have money? You know, it goes back to when we first sat down and had a coffee, Leah, and think back to that moment, uh, how I really set the stage. I came in with a blank book. I didn't come in with brochures and things of what I do. We had a blank piece of paper and a pen. And you did too. You take really good notes. And I commend you for that because I think the thing we needed to do and the value that an advisor can bring to you in mapping that out is, is drawing the picture. Right? I'm a fan of drawing those pictures. So we use just one example, how I just described the seven generational planning as a pictograph. If you think of the seven generations uh, all tied together, what we did is we drew kind of more of a family tree. So, mm -hmm. to speak, right. So we drew the tree, but you were, you're kind of the trunk of the tree and we have your kids and then we have your grandkids. But one thing that I got you to think about is think about the roots. The roots are now ones that have gone before us and laid that foundation and made your tree strong. And Leah, I, I want to, I just want to say something. I, I think what you're doing and in, in your master, your life series and just putting the good out there, man, you, you've reached a network of so many people and you're doing such good work. Um, that more people need to hear what you have to say. And 
I, I was very humbled and very honored to actually work with you in, in your own personal situation of, you know, how can we draw this out? But the, before we did, and we prefaced the whole story and the exercise together, I think I want to share with everybody today is, you know, when the time comes is how would you write your own obituary? And, you know, there's a, a great writer, a uh, um, famous writer, actually, Brad Meltzer. And I'd sent uh, that podcast to you and you said, oh, I've watched that one. And you then uh, replied back to me that you used to teach some of this stuff in courses to big corporations. And it doesn't matter if it's a big corporation, whether it's, you know, the leaders out there. This really, it, it comes back down to us, who we are right here in this moment. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. There's some real value, I think, in that. Yes. So the exercise is creating your own obituary or having somebody else write your own your obit. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a good time? But we did, we did, we absolutely did it. I can remember doing it at, oh yeah, well, with lots of oil companies because we do get, uh, uh, well, for, for a variety of reasons, it's a great exercise because you want to be thinking about how you're building in humility into your corporate structure often because times when there's lots of money that gets thrown out the window. One of the first things that goes when people have a lot of money is sometimes that to do unto others, it's due to others. Oh, you forgot the un part. (laughs) That's right. Oh, right. I did forget that. Um, But you know, we've matured as we've had more money rolling in and more resources rolling in as a society. And again, we've become more conscious after watching all this train wreck of what a lot of money has done to families. Um, has caused a lot of decimation, has caused a lot of um, issues with addictions that, uh, you know, that people have lost all of their property and things like that. So right now, for a lot of people, this exercise would be very painful. And they don't want to do it because it's very painful. And the, uh, the redemption story here, which is part of what's exciting about being a human being is that you have an opportunity to do this redemption bit of work and go, okay, well, how would I redeem myself? It's not up to anybody else to give me the, the redemption card. I have to figure that out. I have, I have to get myself out of the penalty box to use the sports analogies, right? Oh, got myself in the penalty box. Is it like, how long of a penalty does it have to be <laughs> before I can work at, you know, being the, the hero once again, or, or being a, a good, decent, do unto others, human being. So what was your takeaway from that video? It's a really great video. So we'll put the link at the bottom, but anyone who wants to look it up, it's a TED Talk. It is. And out of all the TED Talks I've watched, uh, this is one of the best ones because it really applies to to what I do as an advisor. Yes. One of the first questions I asked you and I asked all my clients is, do you have a will? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you know yes. the alarming percentage of people that don't have a will right now? So. How many? Oh gosh, the percentages are alarming. It's probably about 60% because there's actually some that think they have a will that they're actually invalid wills. And I'm not a lawyer by any means, but I'm connected in my network to many, many great estate and tax planning lawyers that help people uh, with wills, power of attorney, uh, personal directives here in Alberta. Um, that's probably the foundation of where we you should start with any advisor is really getting that will in check and make sure it's valid make sure it actually creates that roadmap because just I'm going to ask a question to you and to the, the viewers and the listeners. Um, has anyone ever had to settle an estate? So just imagine matriarch and patriarch of a family. Okay. Say grandpa dies and now there's grandma. Grandma passes. Who is the executor or the executrix of that will? At first it may be an honor <laughs> to be right. called the executor of that estate, but it can be, quite a daunting task for that individual. And if any of you listening have had to go through that exercise, it can take a long time. And you can't put that value on time, number one. Number two, there could be a lot of heartache because there's that whole adage of what's equal is maybe not what's fair and what's fair is maybe not what's equal. Um, And a lot of the planning I've helped um, uh, families do, there's a lot of farm succession planning. Would you agree? <laughs> From the Viking area, right. you know, a big part of our local economy has been farming. And there's so many farming families. How many have you heard of, Leah, where there's just this bickering and fighting once one of the patriarch or matriarch dies and then the next one dies? It could be ensuing chaos for the, the people that have to now settle that and pass it on to the next generation. And in the absence of everything we've already said here today, it can be quite a daunting task. So planning while people are still alive, having those proverbial conversations and literal conversations around the kitchen table, if we're allowed to, uh, is one thing. Um, But 
I'm going to challenge everybody who's putting pen to paper today to write out that family tree, first of all, do that exercise. I think there's so much value in that, showing the roots of where you've come from, the generations before us. Start from the great-grandparents. What did you learn from them, if anything? Maybe it's just stories. Maybe it's values. Maybe it's genetics. We've talked quite heavily of that. And then grandparents, what did you learn from them? You know, the one thing my grandma Helen has taught me the most, my one remaining surviving grandparent? What? And I'm going to share this. This is a quote. She's like, never be afraid to hold your head up high, smile and look a stranger in the eye as you pass them by. That's a lost art. How many people walk by each other in the street now and just put their head down? You know, yeah, most people have their head buried in a device or they're masked. So you can't see the smile, which we won't go off on that segue, but you know. Right. <laughs> right. You could have said it best. But we, could, but we could. And this is why I'm on ch1.ca. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Sounds easy when you say it fast. Uh, but yes, and that's true. Is like you cannot smile. You cannot see each other in the face at all. So what was bad before uh, 2019 in 2020 has been exponentially increased. So thanks. Thanks, Helen, for those words of wisdom, because people need to be even more so diligent about making eye contact and smiling at other human beings and making that human connection. Um, one of the things, Greg, I want the audience to know is actually you have a special designation that helps people to actually have these conversations and do this planning. Can you just share a little bit about what that is? Sure. Well, CEA, it stands for Certified Executor Advisor. And it's a specialized training to help people while they're still alive to sit around the kitchen table and have those conversations. Essentially, I'm a mediator, a coach to help have the conversation, help make those decisions, help decide who is going to be take on that responsibility of the executor, executrix of mom and dad's will. So happen if they pass or pass in a common disaster, They've, we've seen that as well in, in accidents, mm -hmm. um, but it's a big responsibility. So it gives me just specialized training in understanding the emotions involved uh, from a financial point of view, but it also charged me with the knowledge of who in the network of people out there that you need to contact. And it could start with me, it could start with a, a lawyer, it could start with a, an accountant that's trusted by the family but there's a whole network of us there to help those folks. So if anyone is thrust into this situation, uh, just know that there's people out there uh, that are trained specifically to help those individuals. So that's one, preparing before the inevitable, but also specialized training when something does happen is equally as important, but it's a whole different set of factors, right? Because now the death has happened. Now there's emotions involved with the family and all the beneficiaries of that particular estate how do I then help that person, that executor, that executrix now navigate over that next year, mm -hmm. two years? Uh, what's the longest estate you've heard go on? It can drag on for yeah. years. Years and years and years. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. And yes, definitely. It's decimating to the family. And certainly for the most part, I don't think what um, the people who worked to build that wealth and that family legacy had in mind when they passed. <laughs> it's just... You know, it brings up some very ugly things about human nature. One of the things that we've got, again, this wisdom is from uh, dealing with the Huntington's disease thing. So the genetics in our family is that there's, uh, might sound a bit macabre, but the uh, death by dinner. <laughs> so you talk about, you know, at your dinner table, you actually talk about what it is that you have envisioned for your end of life stuff and that there's no organizations that actually help you to um, have those conversations with your family. So you don't, you know, maybe that's not what your family wants to do, but you as a facilitator of those kinds of conversations within your family can find one of those groups to get some wisdom from about, well, you know, how would you initiate conversations about the will and about uh, what were the couple other things you said there? Cause I know that I went, Oh yeah, I don't have that. The, the directive. I was like, Oh yeah. I should that probably know that. Yeah, that power of attorney that if you're still alive and kicking, you know, mm -hmm. when that power of attorney is exercised, whether it's a cognitive uh, disability um, or whether you give somebody the power in your lifetime, even if you have the cognition to be able to, there's different um, parts to that. And I'm not going to, that's a whole chapter in itself uh, that we could talk about. But just, again, if you have questions on that or you don't have one, uh, there's people you need to reach out to. And I'm going <clears> to <throat> charge everyone with the task, get that done because right. that alarming percentage of people that don't have it done when all of a sudden something happens, that could be catastrophic for that whole family. Everything you've been working so hard 
to accomplish and build can be just wiped right out if in the wrong hands. <laughs> There's that whole saying in the Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man was always my favorite. Because again, we only had three channels growing up. Remember those days? I know. It's like either CTV and the old ITV, which is now- And, and French. And French. French, yeah, you can learn. <laughs> Channel 11. Anyway, I, I learned from Spider-Man, the old friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, it's with great power comes great responsibility. So the larger the estate that one is amassed, the more responsibility it is to how to now decumulate that and pass that on to that next generation. And you wanted me to share a story. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a true story based on a true story, and it still hasn't played out entirely. But I sat around that proverbial kitchen table with this particular couple and it was uh the story is i'll leave the last names of course out of it to protect their privacy but it was uh frank the farmer and his wife joyce and it's so funny we joked that you had an auntie joyce that is uh my grandma's best friend yes growing up so frank and joyce they came in for this meeting and i was there as a consultant to the other broker and he had a lot of their investments that they'd accumulated and it was a small fortune to the tune of about four million dollars so four million to some people that oh my god that could wow. be a couple of lifetimes of money that has accumulated and around that table of frank and joyce the body language was hilarious because i've seen this so many times in my 17 years in this business they came in and the broker initially just goes with frank and gets him engaged in rates of return and stocks and all that and did you know what joyce's reaction was her body, <laughs> precisely, her body language was like this. I caught her staring up at the ceiling a couple of times. And I'm just like, I, I was just kind of laughing to myself because I've seen this too many times. So I, I said, time out, guys, like time out. Like Frank and Joyce at their time frame, just to give you some context, are now 77 years old. And there was a true belief, and Joyce shared this once I gave her the opportunity to do. She's like, oh my God, Frank, there's no way we're going to spend all this money in our lifetime. We need to start thinking, how are we now going to, pass this on to the next generation. So I, I asked her and I empowered her. I said, Joyce, you're staring at the ceiling there. I can tell you've been at these meetings before. And she's like, yes, they have the same conversation every single time. And I said, well, it looks like you have something to say. Uh, what would you like to say? I'm going to give you the floor. And you know what she said? She's like, I'm losing sleep at night. Not for the fact that we have $4 million in our stock portfolio. What I'm losing sleep at night is how are we going to divide this, what's fair and equal mm -hmm. to, the, to the grandkids? And I'm like, hmm, first of all, that was a red flag right there. <laughs> and I'll right. share with you red flag. I'm like, what do you mean? Like the grandkids, I'm like, what about your, your kids? Like how many, tell, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. So they had one child um, and they didn't talk. So do you think that is a problem? Oh, yeah. So then my next question naturally in my training is, well, well, let's talk about your will. Like if that's bothering you, let's talk about your your will and how that is. I said, when's the last time you updated your will? I'm like, oh, funny you should ask just last week. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and why last week? And well, in fact, she goes on. She's like, we've changed it four times in the last four years. And I'm like, well, that's bizarre. And to what cost did it take to change and tweak this will and make all these different amendments to it? And I said, well, let's take it a step further. And we did the same exercise, Leah, that you and I started with was to like, just draw that family tree. And so we started to draw the little figures. So they had four grandchildren from that one son who they don't talk to. It's just completely estranged. They do not agree with his lifestyle and we right. won't get into that. But then there was four grandchildren. I said, well, tell me about the grandkids. Well, I love my grandkids. She yeah. <laughs> exactly. I said, well, let's, let's start with the first <laughs> grandchild naturally, because I'm the oldest grandchild in, uh, my mom's side of the family I said I always like to start there first because I'm always curious right <laughs> let me hear about the first one so they said oh yeah well that that guy he's going to take on the family farm and we really want to give him the land that we have they've amassed all this land farmland and I said oh that's that's cool have you guys assigned a value to that mm, they kind of hummed and hawed about that they just said well it's the land he has the what's called sweat equity in the whole farming operation he's helped grandpa you know build it up to what it is today and I said, okay, well, there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of sweat equity, I would agree. Um, having come from the farm uh, on my mom's side, we were all, they were all Czech farmers that right. North America and have settled the land, so to speak. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, I get where you're coming from there. Kind of takes a farmer to know one and speak that language. I said, well, tell me about the second in line. And whatever his, his name is, uh, I won't mention it right now. Well, 
well, he kind of took after his dad, they go. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I said, okay, well, if you don't agree with his lifestyle, let's skip on to the next one. Uh, so the, the third uh, grandson, same thing. Oh, the apple of their eye. And he also has helped out on the farm, but he's now become a businessman and off doing his own thing. We want to do what's fair for him and what's right for him and his family. And now there's another generation ah, going back right. to that whole seven generations. Right. And I said, well, what about uh, the fourth grandchild? It was their one and only uh, granddaughter. And mm-hmm. guess what she was going through at the time of that conversation, Leah? A D-I-V-O-R-C-E. I'm going to guess. Look at me. Such a spell in Jesse. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, she was. And they were concerned. The one thing that was really keeping grandma up at night, losing Mm -hmm. sleep, was what happened if Frank and Joyce die and each of these kids that they've willed now a million dollars cash when it gets liquidated, Mm -hmm. is that going to be a problem? And they just, she was literally losing sleep of, is that now a estranged husband or whatever? Don't know the guy from Sam. Is he going to get walk away with half of that half that million dollars, essentially half a million or more in however they divvied up the rest of the estate? That was an issue. And I said, well, let's circle back to the other one. I said, is there going to be an issue if (laughs) grandson who you do do not approve of his lifestyle gets a million dollars? And you know what she said? Tell me. That one also keeps me up at night because Mm -hmm. we feel that if he got a million dollars given to him on our death, he might be dead within a week right alongside us Hmm. and you can let your mind go with whatever that is. But that was a real problem, a real Mm -hmm. issue um, Mm -hmm. that grandma had. And I was so happy and proud of her to voice that because it changed the whole dynamic of the meeting. Leah, the broker, instead of talking about rates of return, just realized, Oh my God, like that means nothing to the the mom, to the grandma. Um, Even though it meant a lot to, to the grandpa, you know what it told me was that, who really actually wore the pants in that family? Like grandma was there holding the purse strings of how this thing was going to go. So aside from any other planning that had been done, it had to start there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't even know how that story is now played out. And uh, I hope to God they're still alive and still uh, planning for the future. But what I learned in that situation is that how that applies to so many people in our community. And when I say community, it's so much different than it was for us 20 years ago. Oh. Where our community was Viking, Alberta, we had a thousand people at any given time that was the population of Viking. Leah, your network is tens of thousands, vast, larger than mine, is that you've got this now stage that you can share this information with the world. So when I say community, you know, that goes so much more broad. And the, the things we're talking about today, farming being one example or any sizable estate a sizable estate today could be 500,000 could be a million could be mm-hmm. tens of millions the story's still the same is that it comes back to grandma and grandpa either of them losing sleep at night or if they pass they're rolling in their grave that's even worse because now they can't dictate what's going to happen it has to start with that will what is their wishes what what's going to happen from here as we we plan out so that setting the whole framework about the whole Brad Meltzer, why I bring him up is, is he talks about how to write your own obituary and he goes, I was dot, dot, dot. How do you want to be remembered? Right? How do we want to be remembered? What can we do in our life today? It starts today. No matter what we've done in that whole basis of that seven generational planning, the, you know, the choices, the behaviors today, the mistakes we've made, what can we learn from them as we go forward? So that when we can actually have our own obituary read, our own eulogy read, what is it going to say? How do you want that to look? Yeah, and it's not about your degrees, is it? It's not about the amount of education or because nobody ever talks about that. I had the privilege of reading my grandpa's um, uh, whatever at the funeral reading at the funeral. And it was, there was nothing about the, his education at all. It was about all of the sports things he'd created in Hinton, Alberta, <laughs> you know, all the people that were over at his house, having a good time and dancing to Frank Sinatra, Marty ah. Robbins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did it my way. <laughs> yeah, I did it my way was one of his favorite songs. Yes. We were joking before we got on the podcast just to let the audience in on the joke is that Greg sent me this uh, lyrics list to, exactly it was like frank sinatra i did it my way so for those of you who want to have a little flashback it's a really good song to contextualize sort of you know this and the 
and the obit thing. Um, but his obituary was just to do with being a fun guy, creating great community. And did he make mistakes? Absolutely. And, you know, the end of his life was not awesome. It was not a, a fun time. Uh, he had had a stroke. And my grandma on that side died of cancer, you know, so there, it wasn't a good time, the end of their life. Um, but they did have their will done. They were more practical. Like the, I think that there was a generation that was uh, more practical in getting that stuff done and taking care of the administration of things. And also the family was very highly cohesive also because they have the same underpinnings of values around the do unto others and, you know, operating in kindness and compassion towards one another and looking at your siblings as your friends, not as your enemies. And, um, and uh, yeah, so just I had a high regard for um, how they process through that. But also, I don't see that displayed. It's very, very rare, I think, that you see families that can work through um, estates and, and come through it liking each other. Like it shouldn't just be survivor. It shouldn't be you're getting in the octagon with your family members and doing a, you know, the MMA brutal, let's beat each other until we're uh, pulseless. It's, it's supposed to be about how do we do this with honor and care and compassion um, for, for one another. Um, yeah. So the obit is a very powerful thing. Uh, and so take a minute, everyone, just take a moment and think, what would you write about yourself? She was a, he was a, put your name in there. Greg Bird was a. Yeah, that's legacy. What will endure? And you talked yes. about your your education, your resume will fade the, the quickest, right? Because nobody cares beyond that point. Um, Brad Meltzer talks about legacy in four different ways, and they're beautiful in how you describe. We talked just very briefly a little bit about the examples so your, your, your first legacy is your personal legacy. What impact can you make with your, your friends, your network? Um, what impact will you leave them with that reverberates who you were into the future? That's one. Number two, family, right? How will your family remember you? Remember, money's only one part of it. Mm -hmm. I think what's more important is the values that we talked about in our first episode of what can you instill in that generation that will then carry on to the grandkids, the great grandkids and Again, if we're blessed to be able to see all those generations before us, the three generations, to the three generations ahead, what a beautiful thing that is. Some of us don't have that opportunity or that chance to do that. Right. Um, <laughs> this whole theme of Frank's keeps popping up. Uh, yes. On Christmas Day, I, I took a walk actually to the cemetery where many of my family are buried and a lot of people in the community. And uh, my great-grandfather, who I do remember, I'm one of the since I was the oldest grandchild, I remember him. His name was Frank, great uh, grandpa Frank. And great grandpa Frank, you know the one thing I remember most of him? What's that? Is him playing the accordion for me and just put me on his lap and and the one song that I remember that plays on in my head is uh, Popeye the Sailor Man. And, <laughs> you know, I think something maybe told me That's from funny. him to share that with everybody is that that music, again, is a universal language and mm -hmm. what can carry on not only in music is the stories that are tied to that music and how universally every culture has music. Uh, right back to the <laughs> beginnings of man, there's always music, whether it was drumming or songs or singing. Um, but that's what plays on for me in my family legacy. And that the, the feeling that I got from that is, is love and his love, right? So he would always do that to make our day and to make us smile, right? Uh, so that's family legacy. That's just my, my personal example. Number three, I'm going to talk about community legacy. Mm -hmm. And what I mean there is, you know, in Brad Meltzer's talk, he talks about a man named uh, Frank uh, Shankwitz. He's the co-founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation. And his story in that is, you know, he made a difference in that one child's life first. His name was Chris. He was dying of leukemia. Mm -hmm. And Chris wanted to be uh, a motorcycle cop because that's what Frank was. He was part of the, the patrollers. And they went and the whole story, I'm not going to tell it here today. I'm going to encourage everyone to actually Google that story. <clears throat> they made a movie of him. And he quite humbly has been on talk shows and shares his story that it just started with one. And then they created this huge organization where they've granted now over a half a million wishes to, you know, kids who are dying and in hospital. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I shared with you, Leah, that we almost lost uh, Tanner, the one who I introduced right at the beginning. He was in mm -hmm. a terrible fall only two Januarys ago. He almost died. Oh, wow. I had to really cope with that feeling of losing a child. That's my greatest fear, more so than 
anything else. <laughs> my own fear of dying was losing a child first, which both sides of my family we've had to endure. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's, it's a great fear. And we've seen that and we've helped each other come together, love one another to get those, those folks through that. Um, in that one, that one really uh, tested because it, it helped me go through the exercise size. There was a good week where I didn't know if he was going to survive. He had a huge, like crazy fracture to his femur, which was displaced fracture that could have went south right. quick. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I was more worried about the concussion. Because as he fell from three stories, he smacked his head on the second story concrete, which left a big contusion goose egg on his head. And it changed him. But part of him actually died after that. For those who knew him, his fiery temper, it almost like it knocked him down a couple notches. And <laughs> if there's a good thing that came through it uh, out of that was his, uh, his kindness and his compassion for people. And you know where it started from? Was the hospital. The week where he spent in the ward at the children's hospital in Calgary, uh, I asked him, I said, what was the, what was the, there's one good thing that you took from being in the hospital there with all the doctors and nurses and all the other kids that were banged up like you and whether they were injured or ill, you know what it was? That vanilla milkshake, he said. (laughs) That was the best thing that somebody gave him. Like he doesn't even remember who it was or brought it. It was a vanilla milkshake that he got to enjoy. That's the one thing that he remembers the most. And whether that sent him on a good path after that, so be it. But it was, again, it goes back to that golden rule. Somebody did that for him that has stuck with him right till this day. And believe it or not, by miracle or whatever, um, by Father's Day, that was January. Mm -hmm. By Father's Day, not even six months later, he was kicking a soccer ball with me on Father's Day. Wow, that's incredible. Because that's a really bad injury. Holy yeah, yeah, his one leg's about an inch shorter than the other, even to this day. So whatever complications comes from that. But what it taught me, uh, Leah, why I want to share that is, is again, that legacy goes beyond just mm-hmm. personal, more so family, community. We don't have to be the founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation. We can just do one thing for one person and pay it forward. Right. And that whoever gave him that vanilla milkshake, if that helped shape the course of his history in combination with all the grand loving grandparents he has in his life, uh, mom and dad in his life. And then eventually his children, his grandchildren, you know, like, again, that just can reverberate going forwards. And it started with one could have started with one thing, all these little things that we don't know that happen in our lives can be so special. And that's what I mean by not only community legacy, how will we be remembered? Who will remember your name? There's the fourth legacy is doing kind to complete strangers. And that's what Brad talks about in his, in his uh, TED talk is how can we make a difference in one person's life goes back to what my grandma taught me smile, like just say hello and smile to someone just walking down the street. It's such a lost art. (laughs) Yes. The pay it forward sort of uh, also mentality that we've talked about, um, you know, off camera, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen that um, movie, but in, in essence, it's do one nice thing and it can't be as simple as a smile and then just pass that on to the next recipient and the next recipient and you never know um, what somebody else is going to do I know in Canada that a funny one is you know pay it forward when you go through Tim Hortons and buy somebody a coffee (laughs) which was also a really great marketing thing (laughs) so uh, all kinds of all kinds of examples yeah exactly of of what we can do in our day-to-day lives and again looking at the looking in your own house and home and see what you can do and start there first it's again i find it's funny that people will go and do things nice for complete strangers but for the people in their own house they don't right it's just like holy what yeah like look at who is in your own environment they could look and use a word of your encouragement or your time or just your complete attention where you're not on your device and you've got it turned off and you're just spending uh, that eye-to-eye contact with one other person and telling them what you appreciate about them or um, helping them with something that they need help with, um, helping them to get things organized or, or um, helping them to get their computers set up. I mean, there's a million things that I can think of because we were just doing a bunch of them, you know, over the Christmas holidays, um, helping each other out. Uh, but that's where it starts. And, and if you only reserve all the nice things that you do for the external world, then you're really missing where all of the work has to really start, which is in your, your own house, your own home. And can, you can heal a lot of things um, in your own house and home when you've got the attitude of 
um, paying it forward there first. And, and that's an incredible gift that you can give each other over the holiday season, which we're still in, you know, cause I'm festive like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, look around and, and see what there, what there is that you can do. Uh, and it doesn't need to be a big planned party or anything like that. It can just be the simplest things are often the most powerful, right? You know what? And <clears throat> what just popped into my, my heart and my mind was a, another song and, um, I shared this with you and it, it just has so much essence to what we're trying to accomplish here today was uh, Tim McGraw. So I know you're a country music fan. I know there probably is a lot of country music fans on the line and there's two songs that you really like. And one that you shared with me, what was the first one was uh, live like you were dying. When I got my genetic status for <laughs> the Huntington's, it's like, yeah, that's a good song. And I played that one in Chad. Uh, what was it? Nickelback. <laughs> Uh, what was it? Uh, if today was your last day. Yes. So good old Alberta Nickelback and, yeah. and the Tim McGraw song. But yes. Yeah, so then that segued into what you were. Yeah. Yeah. The one that popped into to my heart was that humble and kind, always be humble and kind. And if you watch the video, it has 108 million views worldwide. And it obviously resonates with every culture, everybody out there across every country is that it goes back to that one thing, right? Just, you know, hold true to who you are. And I wanted to share with you, Leah, there's one common denominator, one real big personality trait that I see in every successful person that I've met in my life. And you know what that is? Humble and kind. That and take it a step further is actually it's humble confidence. And I believe you have that, that trait. When I first met you, it connects all of us. Mm -hmm. And again, everyone defines success in so many different ways. It's not just money. It's how rich you are, rich with feeling rich with the word that you have and what you can do for the world to make it a better place. And Lee, I give you uh, full accolades for that is that, you know what, keep doing what you're doing. And it's just so beautiful how you've been able to share this with the world. Well, thank you, Greg. And thank you for helping to bring the message about finance to people, because I talk a lot about health and wellness and about family harmony and love and all those mushy subjects. And I do, you can check it all out on the <laughs> master your life show. Uh, you know, been on it, and I do have focused on that because that's where my heart's been at. Um, but when you're facing financial devastation, which so many people are, and I was an executive coach, you know, and I don't know if a lot of people would remember that or know that, but that was my bread and butter for quite a number of years, along with athletic coaching. And when the industry of, of coaching dried up, which it did, you know, probably just a few years ago, really, um, that it's changed the life for everybody in terms of how we in Alberta anyway, have been able to generate income. And now you've got all this other real world problems and including health stuff um, that it just was on my heart that we have got to get financial well-being straightened out in our own lives and, and help other people. Cause that's how you do it, right. By helping each other to be accountable or to problem solve, even like to troubleshoot, to problem solve, because there are real big um, problems in people's lives that it's not just easy to um, figure out what the next step is, especially if it's complex. And so again, thank you, Greg, for, you know, coming over with the first family tree stuff and having a look at things that were not very nice to look at. It's like, you know, and, and so uh, it's not just everybody that can do this work. You know, I'd said to Greg, uh, probably second meeting, Greg, you have to look at me like I'm a 70 year old, not 50. <laughs> so I said, that's where we have to plan for my health. I thought you were 30. Yes, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, 30. That's it. And now I'm going to say, oh, okay, like 50. Oh, I got another 20 years. Never mind. <laughs> but this is the part of what the conversation has to be, right, guys? It's like when you're and the ability to have the conversations that are um, that you can have with some humor and levity, but also knowing that the person who's caring for your plan actually cares for you and your family so that whatever it is that you're developing and building, they can hold the context of having really difficult conversations. Um, and that's to Greg, to your credit, you can do that um, and not get swayed and go, well, we're going to go over here in the weeds then and whatever. It's just like, you, okay, no, now let's herd the kittens back. And how do we actually get some format around this and a formula around how to help people? And you've got another little tool that um, that helps people when, like to your Frank and Joyce story, Farmer Frank and Joyce and all of their, you know, things that they were concerned about. You have ways of helping people to manage 
um, estates when they're not uh, alive anymore, which I think is kind of mind blowing also for people. Do you want to speak to that at all today or not? Well, I'm going to leave that for another episode. Maybe that'll, if anyone's interested in hearing more, we can dive a little bit deeper into that because we've learned a lot today. Um, yeah. We shared, you know, at the very beginning, the, that seven generation planning, that whole principle. Yeah. Um, and again, that's woven through all the traditions over time in a lot of the in, indigenous cultures. Iroquois is the one that, that jumped off the page when I first researched it in the Lakota. We talked about um, legacies. So Brad Meltzer in his brilliant TED Talks, so that personal legacy the family legacy, the community legacy, and then that legacy to complete strangers. Um, I think there was a lot of lessons to be learned in that. Um, we talked about how music is a universal language. So I know we're coming up on the hour. Do you feel maybe it's uh, fitting? I, maybe I read the lyrics of that song because they really yeah. move me as much as what we're all talking about today. Yes. Well, you can read them or you can sing it. <laughs> I was uh, I want to be a... <laughs> Where is Uncle Bill? Where is where is Uncle Bill with his guitar? He probably. I think I am when I'm in the in my truck and driving down the road to Viking and singing these songs. My lungs. I'm that crazy guy down the highway, as you see. Anyway, let's let's do that. If you want to end that, you think? Yeah. Say the okay. So this is, of course, in the words of Tim McGraw, humble and kind. You know, there's a light that glows by the front door. Don't forget the keys under the mat. When childhood stars shine, always stay humble and kind. Go to church because your mama says to. Visit grandpa every chance that you can. It won't be wasted time. Always stay humble and kind. Hold the door. Say please. Say thank you. Don't steal. Don't cheat and don't lie. I know you got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. When the dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, let yourself feel the pride, but always stay humble and kind. Don't expect a free ride from no one. Don't hold a grudge or a chip or here and here's why. Bitterness keeps you from flying. Always stay humble and kind. Know the difference between sleeping with someone and sleeping with someone you love. I love you ain't no pickup line. So always stay humble and kind. Hold the door, say please, say thank you. Don't steal, don't cheat, and don't lie. I know you got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. When those dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, let yourself feel the pride, but always stay humble and kind. When it's hot, eat a root beer popsicle. Shut off the AC and roll the windows down. Let that summer sun shine. Always stay humble and kind. Don't take for granted the love this life gives you. When you get where you're going, don't forget to turn back around and help the next one in line. Always stay humble and kind. Beautifully said. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Greg. Leave this episode this week with just saying love yourselves, love each other. Join us next week for more of this good stuff. And uh, we'll be out for now. Thanks again, Greg. Thanks, Leah. Bye for now. Thank you for being a part of our program today. Master Your Life is a presentation of Leah Mattinson Enterprises, Inc. Join us next time on Master Your Life, helping you to discover the very best of you.